We arise for the reading of the gospel, the sermon text. Our text is taken from Luke chapter 7, beginning at the first verse. After Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he went into Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was valuable to him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some elders of the Jew to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue for us. Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to tell him, Tell Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, because I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and the other one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he was amazed at him. He turned to the crowd that was following him and said, I tell you, have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And the men who had been sent returned to the house. They found the servant well. This is our text. fellow recipients of God's grace that he gives to us personally through faith, amazing faith, a free gift from God through whom he gives us blessing. In God we trust all others pay cash. These words were very common on signs in stores a hundred years ago. It was perhaps an attempt at being amusing and saying we only we don't accept checks and we don't have store credit. At the time, they were very unreliable. Checks could be forged and bank accounts could be emptied of money before the check came in. People could disappear and then the store would suffer a loss. And the statement was perhaps a bit tongue-in-cheek, saying, God we trust, but not so much the rest of you. You pay with cash. Now such a sentiment may seem rather strange for us today, especially for our younger generation that has grown up in a time of funds transfers that are all but instantaneous, and credit card companies that protect against fraud. Using a credit card is often preferred, and companies actually give rewards for people who use them, and this newer system actually has become very popular for two reasons. 
One is that, for the most part, it has been reliable. It gets the job done. And secondly, a measure of goodwill that people are convinced that those who offer these services are providing a reasonable service for at a reasonable cost. Life now, facing death, and life after the grave is also all about trust. It is a matter of trust. In our text this morning, Jesus performs two amazing miracles. The first miracle that is there is that of healing the centurion's servant. All he had to do as the almighty God-man was to speak the word and that prayer was answered, the servant was healed. But there is perhaps an even more amazing miracle that takes place, and that is the amazing faith of this centurion. So this morning, as we focus on the thought that is there in Pentecost of the gift of the Holy Spirit that he works through his word and the sacraments, that gift of a faith. We see here in our text an amazing faith, one that was confident that Jesus could do what was asked for and also confident of his faithful love. And so we consider this thought, it's a matter of trust. First, confident in Jesus' authority, and second, confidence in his faithful love. Life is all about trust, but it also requires the object of faith to be able to do what is being asked. And we know that the weatherman may be able to do a pretty good job of predicting what's going to happen tomorrow, but he can't stop the rain from coming. This morning in our text, the centurion shows an amazing confidence in Jesus' authority and the power that goes along with it. He understands authority and power. And he explains that with an earthly example in our text. He says, I myself am a a man under authority with soldiers under me. He was responsible to others under authority But he also led 100 soldiers, and they either did what he commanded or they suffered for it. And he trusted that Jesus had a power and authority that went far beyond any earthly authority or power. As the creator of the world, and also as the one who still rules it by his power, He was the God-man, the Almighty God come down in human flesh. And this request to heal that one who was dear to him was no big problem for one who had such power and authority. And his faith was not disappointed. Jesus merely speaks the word and the miracle he was healed. 
this faith was even more amazing because this centurion was a Gentile, a non-Jew by birth. He didn't have contact from little on up with the God of the promise of the Old Testament. But God placed him in a land of the Jews. He heard, and the Holy Spirit worked through the word that was there, and amazing faith and confidence in the Savior, his power and authority. First, he convicted him of guilt with regard to sin, and then assured him that the Savior would come who would destroy the power of sin. Amazing faith and amazing fruits of faith. If you heard the words of those who made his plea to Jesus, he expressed it in this way, they expressed it this way, he loves our people. And he also has built up our temple. Amazing fruits of faith. Perhaps brought on by the promise of this one who had such power and authority. The one that was promised in the prophet Isaiah when he said concerning that coming Savior, the government or the authority will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This Savior would come with power and authority, and now he was there present with them. But notice how humbly he approaches Jesus with that request. He doesn't even come himself. He says, I didn't think I was worthy to come to you. And later on he goes on to say, I don't think I'm worthy to have you under my, the roof of my house humbly walking before God. And this wasn't just that Jews normally avoided the heathen, the unbelieving non-Jews, but rather as a reflection of what he recognized, perhaps that same thing that happened with Peter after the great catch of fishes, when Peter said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man. The mighty, powerful God stood before him in his presence. He was walking humbly before that God. Have you ever stopped to think that every challenge of God's authority is soul-destroying sin? He has the power and the right to determine what is good and what is evil, he has the power and, to, and right to punish wickedness. You see, everybody has a conscience that tells us clearly that is the case. Even for those who deny that there is a God. But it's only the Holy Spirit who can convince us and assure us that there was one who came as a Savior with, with power and authority to rescue this sinful world. God in his wisdom has given some responsibility and authority to his representatives on earth, those in government, 
those in the family and also those within the church. And when we either challenge or reject that authority, or when those leaders fail to carry out their responsibilities, first we sin against God, and then we sin against man, and truly deserve his judgment for that. Today is recognized as Father's Day. And what a wonderful blessing. I see so many fathers here today. What a wonderful blessing that God has given us in human fathers, and especially those Christian fathers who have led us to the feet of the Savior and nurtured us in that faith. And although sin has placed a very great burden on the family and on fathers and parents and marriage, God reminds us that he has a very good plan in marriage and the family. And it's only all so simple. One man, one woman for life. With the blessings of companionship, of sexual purity, and also the blessing of children. It's built on a number of things, on selfish love. The Lord encourages us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It is built on respect. Yes, husbands for wives and wives for husbands, children for parents. It is built on material support. And the Lord is pretty blunt when he speaks of this. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially his immediate faith, he has, his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's built on nurturing, and especially spiritually. He reminds fathers of the responsibilities. He says, fathers, don't frustrate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction in the work of the Lord. Sadly, today, many not only challenge God's plan, but outright reject that good plan, and often with the support of much of what claims to be a part of the visible Christian church. Being a father is more than being a part of starting a new life in the womb. The Lord reminds us of that. And yet our, our country has become very comfortable with what might be called absent fathers. Somewhere around 25% of all children in our country do not have a father living with them in their home. And even a greater number very seldom have contact with their father. Who is there to teach them the wonderful love of the Heavenly Father? And as we in our country struggle with a measure of violence and confusion over gender, among many other things, for boys and young men so often there isn't anyone there to teach them 
what God says being a man really is. Is it any wonder that so many have sunk under the burden, struggled in anger and confusion? But what about us? Perhaps we're not guilty of all the great grievous sins around us in the wicked world, but too often, if we're honest, we will recognize that we have been absent fathers or absent mothers or rebellious children or singles. We have challenged the authority of God, perhaps living in the same house, but not being there very much because work and play is all too important. Perhaps being present, but simply not being there emotionally or spiritually caught up in our own little worlds of TV and perhaps computer games and Facebook. Children often rebelling against parents who at times set a very poor example, struggling and challenging and failing to do God's will. Too often, we have replaced the truth of God or a lie, and challenged his authority through our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And every challenge that is there against our holy God makes us worthy of his judgment. And make no mistake, all who die rejecting Christ's authority will be lost eternally in the fires of hell. But take heart. Sinners, yes. Worthy of God's judgment, yes. But remember that Jesus also has authority and power over sin and death and hell, and that's the very reason for which he came into this world. In the great gospel chapter of John, the Good Shepherd chapter, Jesus tells us, I lay down my life for the sheep, I have the authority, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the authority and the power to take it back again. That was his mission. To come and take the sins of the world on himself, to suffer and to die, and then to rise from the dead to declare his victory over sin and death and hell. To open the door. The life with him now and life eternally with him in heaven. Oh, it is a matter of life and death. The Lord says, trust in his promise, believe it. For it is by faith that we lay hold of that blessing of forgiveness and that heaven is our home. The centurion in our text had a confidence that Jesus could do it, that he had the power and authority. It was the source of his trust, but there was a second reason. It was a confidence in his faithful love. We live in a very strange world. Many of those in our world that reject the authority of Christ 
often cry out, you need to be more inclusive. Often speaking about those things that are clearly wickedness. In contrast to that, how good and inclusive is the love of our Savior God. See, in the parallel account that's here in Luke in Matthew, the Lord makes it clear that his salvation was just not for one nation or a few people, but he says many will come from the east and the west, the non-Jews, and they will take their places with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to pay for the sins of all. And the Lord assures us in John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only son all. And he assures us that that work was indeed completed. As Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, he said, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Adam's sin brought death for all, but Christ's saving work, that one act, brought justification and forgiveness for all men. And when we may struggle with doubts and fears and wonder whether or not Jesus died for me, remember that he says all. It includes everyone ever born upon this earth, and it includes you and me in there. What an amazing, truly inclusive love the Savior has. Put your confidence in that Savior. And what a wonderful, faithful love. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word that is used for love or mercy is kessed, and usually it is paired also when it speaks of God's love with a meth, which is true or faithful. Faithful love, worthy of our trust and confidence. What a comfort. See, God knows what the world was like after the fall into sin, and we see that time and again, Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden. And the people at the time of the flood, even his chosen people, rebelled time and again. And yet, on every occasion, the Lord called them to repentance, to recognize the soul-destroying sin that was there, and offered them the promise of forgiveness again, and Christ renewed that promise. Yes, he would punish the wicked in many cases, but for his people, he gave that assurance of the promise of forgiveness and life. See, the focus of the Old Testament is not about the judgments, as many think, but the focus that is there in all and in all of Scripture is on the faithful love of our Savior God. And that's how he deals with us. When we sin and fail each day of our lives, he comes to us in word and sacrament and says, 
recognize the sin that is there, and find assurance in forgiveness in the Savior, and find strength to live for the Savior because of his love day by day. Now, over the past four years, I've spent extended periods of time serving vacancies in three of our congregations. It's a wonderful thing to be able to serve God's people. But one of my especially favorite sources of joy is working with those who come from outside the church. There are those who recognize that something is missing in their lives without Jesus. And what a pleasure to share with them, what a privilege to share with them the good news of Christ's love for us, his forgiveness that is there in our lives. To watch faith grow and do some amazing things including that of loving his word and worship more, growing in strength to be able to set aside some of those open and obvious sins of the past. Perhaps it was the rebellious thought, I don't need a savior. Or perhaps it was the alcoholic or the abuser or the person living in adultery. To see those fruits of faith that are there because of Christ's wonderful love. See, the Lord doesn't care where we come from, what our past has been. The Holy Spirit invites through the Word to trust in the Savior because it is through faith in the Savior that we have that blessing of forgiveness now and heaven is indeed our home. It's all about trust. Whether you've made the move to doing more electronic transfers or using check cards or cards really depends upon whether you think or trust that they are good and effective. This morning as we see the great miracle and see Jesus' power and authority in healing this sick individual, the Lord sets before us another amazing miracle. The faith of that centurion and the fruits of that faith that was there. Amazing faith. Do you want to grow in faith? Do you want to be a better father or mother, son or daughter, worker, citizen? Do you want to lead someone who is struggling without Christ to find comfort in him? It is only through the Holy Spirit's work, through word and sacrament, that he believe, brings people to believe. Remain in the word and share it with others. Only he can build up a greater confidence in our hearts both in Christ's authority and also in his unfailing love. Under his influence, with Christ in our lives, he can do some very amazing things in our homes and in our churches and in our communities around us. With the centurion, 
Be confident in Christ's authority and power. And be confident in his never-ending, unfailing love. Amen.